0: You guys, may be seated. As we finished the uh, 18th chapter last week, of course, we were looking at the ministry of Apollos, who had come from Alexandria, Egypt, uh, to Ephesus, and then he went to Corinth. And we talked about all this last week, but but we saw that uh, early in the chapter that the Apostle Paul had been in Corinth. Uh, he was there for a period of 18 months. Uh, he left for Syria, we see in verses 18 to 23, um, and on the way there he wanted to stop in Jerusalem to celebrate the upcoming feast. Uh, so he left from, uh, uh, from Corinth to uh, Antioch, Syria, Stopping in Ephesus because that's where his, we would call it a layover if we're riding on the plane, right? We have a layover in a particular airport uh, to take us to our final destination. That's basically what it was, but they're traveling by ship. So it could have been a matter of just a a couple of days or so that he had to wait to catch catch the ship going to uh, Caesarea in Israel. Because he wanted to catch the feast in Jerusalem, um, he taught in the synagogue there while he was waiting. You know, while he was just waiting for his uh, his ship to arrive, uh, he did what he always did. He would go to the synagogue and teach, and he did so. They wanted him to stay, but he said, "No, I can't. I got to go to Ephesus, but God willing, I'll be back." Well, here in chapter 19, we see that he does indeed return. It was obviously God's will that he returned to Ephesus. But last week, as we looked at um, Apollos, uh, we we saw that after Paul left Ephesus uh, to head to Jerusalem and then to Antioch, Apollos arrived there. Uh, We we saw that he uh, was a very powerful teacher of the word of God, that he had been instructed accurately in the ways of the Lord, but not fully because he only knew John's baptism. Uh, we're, we're not told how long he was in Ephesus. We, we don't know. Uh, but Aquila and Priscilla had left from Corinth with the apostle Paul to Ephesus. They remained in Ephesus as Paul went to Jerusalem and then up to Antioch and, and then he was there for a short time in Antioch, and we saw in verse 23 of chapter 18 that he went to Galatia and, and Phrygia uh, to, to check on them, to follow up with them, to see how they were doing, and thus his third missionary journey began at that particular point. Meanwhile, Apollos is in Ephesus. he's teaching. Aquila and Priscilla hear him. Uh, they had spent a lot of time with the apostle Paul. They knew more accurately the word of the Lord. And they took him aside, filled him in, spoke to them in regard to the more accurate uh, uh, ways of the Lord, teaching of God's word, and, and he was used powerfully. He, went, he wanted to go to Corinth, he wanted to go to Achaia, we're, we're told there, uh, which is the southern uh, portion of Greece. Uh, Corinth and Athens were there uh, uh, in Achaia. And... Uh, It's obvious that he went to Corinth because we shared several passages of Scripture from uh, uh, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians in which he talks about Apollos. So Apollos uh, made an impact there for the Lord in in Corinth. And we are told here in this passage that uh, in verse 27, uh, when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, verse 27, then verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so we see a twofold ministry that, that Apollos had there in Corinth. Uh, one, strengthening the believers, helping the believers who had come to faith by the grace of God. And secondly, refuting the Jews who would not believe that Jesus is, is the Christ. And he, he showed in the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So that's the background for what we see here in Acts chapter 19. We see here in verse 1 and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and finding some disciples he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believed, we'll just stop there for now. We saw back in verse 23 of chapter 18 that Paul began his third missionary journey uh, going over the region of Galatia and Phrygia. Uh, Here we see that he passed through the upper regions in verse 1 of chapter 19, and then he came to Ephesus. All that means is that he remained in the hill country and didn't go down to the valley with the main roads. That's all that means. He passed through the upper regions, Upper regions. Now, what we do, when we say upper regions, normally we would be talking about up north. When they say upper regions, they mean higher altitude. And so that's what this is speaking about. You know, as we go through the scriptures, we always see the people go up to Jerusalem because it's up over 3,000 feet elevation. You know, I've had the blessing of, I've shared this with you before. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Jeanette, and myself, and a number of people from the church on, a, on a, one of our tours to uh, Israel, uh, we got stuck in Jerusalem because it snowed. It was a, it was a trip in January, you know, so it was winter weather, and, and it snowed there, and it's not an uncommon occurrence. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but once in a while, and it wasn't as strange as it, as it was when we got snow here in this past January. I mean, that was crazy, wasn't it? It was crazy. I mean, it's like, anyway, it was nuts. Um, It was very cool, pun intended. Um, Yeah, we we got stuck there in in, in the snow, and uh, um, Don Stewart happened to be the guy who was leading the tour for us and doing the teaching, so doggone it, we got stuck in a conference room with him for like half a day as he spoke to us about the end times, you know, and uh, you know, it, it was a it was a it was a great experience, but it's upper uh, higher in elevation, so that, that's that's what this is in reference to the upper regions. So he arrived in Ephesus. Apollos had been there. Great teacher, but not uh, complete in his way of understanding it all. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla helped him to understand, and we don't know if there was any time spent there after they uh, uh, they helped him. Um, perhaps a week or two, maybe right away, he left. I got to go tell this to the guys in Corinth. But, of course, Paul had been in Corinth for 18 months. But all, all he could do is go and follow up with what Paul said. In fact, Paul writes through the Corinthians in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians that, that, that he himself, Paul, planted and Apollos watered, right? And so that, that's exactly what we see taking place there. Um He found some disciples. Finding some disciples, he said. Now, the word finding uh, can be translated, or can mean a few different things. But in the context here, it demands that we understand that it means that he was actually searching. He was searching for some disciples and he found them. Now, I find that interesting because, well, Paul had left. Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. Paul was there just for a short time, perhaps a couple of days, and left. He said, I'm coming back. He knew that Aquila and Priscilla were there. So in the months that he had been gone, going to, uh, uh, traveling to Caesarea, going to Jerusalem, uh, staying there for a short time, greeting the church there, then going to Antioch, being there for some time, and then going through the regions of uh, Galatia and Phrygia, following up on the churches, had to take a a couple, three months at least for that to take place. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla had been there with the church in Ephesus. And you would think that he was looking for them. Maybe he knew that they were not there at that time. Aquila and Priscilla are not mentioned again at all in the book of Acts after chapter 18. I, I think it's interesting to take note of that. But we do see this. In 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul from Ephesus during this day in Ephesus, but he was there for three years, so it could have been any time in that three-year period, but we see him writing to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 16, verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And so uh, Aquila and Priscilla was hosting a, a house church there in Corinth, uh, and there were many people there, uh, uh, um, excuse me, in, in, uh, in Ephesus, excuse me, and as he wrote to the people in Corinth, uh, because Aquila and Priscilla knew them, he greeted them uh, in that way, so they, they were mainstays there, but because of their business, you know, they had left Rome, perhaps they, they, they left some people to run their business there in Rome, but they had to get out because they were Jewish. Jewish. We talked about that previously. Uh, There could have been other businesses elsewhere. Maybe they were doing that. We don't know. Uh, Maybe they were just there and just Luke doesn't mention them again. We, We don't know. But the point is that he was looking for some disciples and he found some disciples. Finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, That seems to be a, 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 that's kind of a curious question to ask. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we know that Paul taught that if if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you are not a believer at all. Luke, writing this, this book of Acts, Called them disciples. He always used that term to describe disciples of Jesus. Uh, if if, If they were just simply disciples of John, it would seem that he would have indicated that by saying he found some disciples of John to differentiate between the two. Remember, Luke is a doctor. He's very precise with his wording. Very precise. He would have used that precision to do that. He calls them disciples. If Paul had arrived assuming they were disciples of Jesus and they really weren't, he would have said, Paul, believing they were disciples of Christ, but they were really disciples of John only, he would have said that. He didn't. So I I think it is reasonable to conclude that these men were disciples of Christ, But they didn't yet know anything past the baptism of John and John's ministry. Now, I want to talk about that just for a moment. Because knowing that they were disciples, knowing that in believing in Christ, being a disciple of Christ, yet not really understanding what he taught yet, but just kind of waiting. Maybe they did understand what he had taught, John teaching some things that Jesus would do. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that, that, that I come preaching repentance, but look for the one who comes after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? If they heard those things, then maybe they didn't receive all the teaching from, the, from, from John accurately. That, that's a possibility. But they knew that the Messiah was coming. Did they know that he had come? We don't know. One thing we do know, they did not know that, that the Holy Spirit had been poured out. When they ask, we didn't even know if there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. That's not what they mean in the sense of the way that it looks uh, on the surface, because certainly if they heard about John the Baptist, if they followed John the Baptist, they, they, they followed his teaching and so forth. They understood what he had to say. He talked about. It. If they had any understanding of the Old Testament, they, they knew about the Holy Spirit. And so these men uh, um, were lacking in the fullness of teaching, but still expecting and waiting. And that's the idea that's here. They were still waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, not knowing that he already had been poured out, as we saw in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. That's what we see here. Now, um, quoting from Luke chapter 3, verse 16, uh, the verse that I alluded to just a moment ago, John answered, saying to all, as they were asking him, Who are you? Are you the Christ? And and he answered, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And fire. So John proclaimed that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. In terms of these men and, and where they were taught, who taught them, we don't know. We don't know if they had, maybe they were up in Judea during John the Baptist's ministry 25 years prior. That's possible. Um, we don't know. Perhaps some disciples of John came down or, or came, came to this particular area and, and, and began to teach about John the Baptist, uh, what he did, who he was, and the expectation for the Messiah who was to come. Um, we're not told here that these men are Jews. It may be reasonable to... to uh, um, believe that they were indeed Jews, but we can't really say for sure because it doesn't say, it just simply says that they were disciples. So a a lot of open-ended questions are related to this in terms of how they learned what they learned and why is it that it was so limited. We don't really know. We don't really know for sure. One thing for certain though, is the teaching that they received was not a part of what we might call the, the, the stream of teaching that came from the church in Jerusalem, the apostolic teaching that as men were sent from Jerusalem to go to particular places as uh, Paul the Apostle was, as Peter was, as, as others, you know, and teaching accurately the things of the Lord, and you know how that goes. I mean, even today, even as we have the word of God, I mean, we, we have a, 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 a lot of people teaching things that simply are not biblical. We just do. Even though we have the truth right here before us, they'll, they'll move away from that. And they'll have their explanations and so forth. But we've got to keep stay with the context. And so the context of this passage tells us These are disciples of Jesus who didn't know about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the sense of that it had already come. Paul tells them that it indeed had come. So what they had received was somehow disconnected from that stream flowing out of Jerusalem through the apostles. Um, Paul asking the question did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? One thing that's interesting to note is that the King James Version, I mean, virtually all the more modern uh, translations read the way that the New King James Version does. Um, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The King James Version says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Gives a different feel for it. You know, the, that translation gives the sense that, you know, there's something that's supposed to take place after, in the sense of the Holy Spirit coming, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, in addition to the Holy Spirit taking residence within us upon uh, our salvation when we are converted to Christ, when we receive Christ. Paul teaches that indeed does take place. The Bible teaches that very clearly. But we see here that Paul asked the question, knowing that they were believers, he asked the question in expectation that following the Holy Spirit being received by them in the sense of an indwelling, that, he would, that they would be baptized with the Spirit the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but they would receive him in that way as a secondary, not a secondary, but but a, as a, a second experience with the Holy Spirit. Not the same experience, but and we're gonna be we're gonna continue to talk about this as, as we move through this. But it was something different, something else, something in addition to the Spirit taking. Uh, 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 indwelling us as we receive Christ as our Savior. There's a sequence that we see in the scriptures, and and, and right now I'm going to be giving you a little bit of a review. It's been a while since we were here in Acts chapter 2, but a number of passages that we looked at then I want to share with you now. uh, Because As we look at the New Testament, we look at the book of John, and we look at the book of Acts, we see that there is a a, a sequence involving our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We see in John 14, verses 16 and 17, this is what Jesus says to his apostles the night before he was crucified. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So at that particular moment, he was with them, but not yet in them. But Jesus tells them, He will be in you. In John chapter 20, and this is after Jesus was crucified, after he was uh, risen from the dead, chapter 22, uh, chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus breathes on you. And by the way, there's this picture that goes back to the book of Genesis and the creation of man, how God breathed upon Adam, breathed in him the breath of life and became a living soul, right? There's this picture of that. This is spiritually speaking. Jesus breathed on them and the Holy Spirit came within them. They received the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to say that that's exactly what happened because Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says something, then that's it. That's what's going to happen. Receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit then. And so now at that point, he had not only been with them, and by the way, the idea of being with them is that the Holy Spirit is with each and every one of us before salvation, basically wooing us to Jesus Christ, revealing who Jesus is, revealing who, uh, our, our own need for Christ, our own sinfulness. And in that, drawing us to Jesus, we accept Christ as Savior, and then we receive the Holy Spirit, just as these apostles did at that moment in John twenty twenty two. So at that point now, the Holy Spirit had been with them, Now he is in them. And then we see in Acts 1.8, Jesus saying, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he hasn't yet. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon them. And and the the sound of a mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire upon their heads, the 120 who were there in that room there in Jerusalem in the upper room. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. They received a gift of tongues. They went out out into the uh, open marketplace there. And there were thousands of people hearing these 120 in other tongues, their own languages, the wonderful works of God as is described there in Acts chapter 2. With, in, upon. These are three different prepositions that are used in the New Testament that describe our different, different aspects of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, for these particular um, believers, these uh, 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 disciples, uh, they, um, the Holy Spirit had been with them. The Holy Spirit was in them because they were indeed uh, disciples, but not yet upon them because they didn't know that that gift had been poured out yet. And, and, and Paul lets them know. He lets them know what's going on with that. One thing I want to share with you are the different ways that this outpouring of the Spirit upon believers is described. In John one thirty three, we see John saying this, John the Baptist, "'I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, "'Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, "'this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit.'" So he even speaks about Jesus, the Spirit coming upon him, but also says that he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So is the Spirit coming upon a person? And also that a person being baptized with the Holy Spirit, as John says, by Jesus. He's the one that does the baptizing. He says more specifically in Luke 3.16, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water and I quoted this already, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's one way that that is described. We see in John chapter 7, and by the way, when we talk about the word baptize, when we use that word, let us remember, it is the Greek word baptizo, and It means total immersion. That's what it speaks of, total immersion. It was actually used at that time in the first century in the Greek language to describe what uh, 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 clothing makers will do to dye a piece of clothing. The piece of clothing is totally immersed into into the dye solution, and it comes out a different color the same color as the dye, which says something to us. If Jesus baptizes me with the Holy Spirit, that means even as in water baptism, we are totally immersed into the water and the water is all around us, being totally immersed, being baptized with the Spirit, then we are totally immersed into the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit totally surrounding us. And as a result of that baptism, we are changed. A piece of clothing becomes just like the dye that it was dipped into. A believer in Christ being baptized with the Spirit becomes just like the Holy Spirit. We become more Christ-like, don't we? Now, as we say that, there was something that Paul saw in these disciples that told him, these guys haven't come into their experience with the fullness of the Spirit yet. I don't know. uh, Were were, were they sailors and they were still talking like sailors? (laughs) I don't know. Was there a lack of joy? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, you know. Um, was it that? I, I, I wish we could have had that explanation. I wish Paul would have said, you know, you're not acting the, the way that you should. You ought to be doing this, doing this. You should, I should see this. You should be joyful. You, you, should be, you should have patience. You should have peace in your heart. Yeah, I mean, but I, I don't see it. Do you have the Holy Spirit? He just asked, do you have the Holy Spirit? I mean, he just didn't explain it. Don't you wish that we had it explained for us? And I think that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us in not giving us those kinds of explanations is because we, as people, would seek to have these things and say, I've got the Spirit, instead of just having the Spirit and let Him move in us the way He wants to move. We can't put God in a box, and all these things that we want to hear will put God in a box. We have to be careful about that. That's one of the things that we see here in these verses I'm going to be sharing with you just in just a moment, even... With these different expressions uh, john 7 verses 37 to 39 a, a very familiar passage that, that many of you are very aware of uh, we see that jesus says out of his heart will flow rivers of living water that's another way that that it is described this experience of the of being baptized with the spirit is uh, described Those verses say, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We see that Jesus had to be crucified, had to be buried, had to be risen, had to ascend, and then he would pour out his spirit. He was not yet given. And these disciples were still in that place where they believed. They didn't know that he had been given, so they're still in that place. Perhaps Paul just simply didn't didn't see the living water flowing out of them. Right? Luke 24, 49, behold, Jesus says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father. That's another name for this experience, the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon you. Um, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So endued with power from on high, another way this is described. Then, of course, the promise of the Father. We see it also in Acts 1:4. Uh, Luke writes, And being assembled together with them, he, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. And his promise came from the Lord through the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. In fact, Peter uh, describes that in his sermon that he gives in Acts chapter 2. That what they are what those Jewish people are seeing was the outpouring of the Spirit as promised through the prophet Joel. In Acts 1:8, um, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's another way. The Holy Spirit will come upon them. And being filled with the Spirit, Acts 2:4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So those different ways that it's described. Now, as we said, John the Baptist said that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We we already looked at at, uh, a couple of verses that spoke on that. Um, But there are also different experiences we see in the New Testament. It's just not, it's not just a cookie cutter kind of thing in terms of the way that it's all supposed to happen, the way that it's all supposed to take place. Uh, it's different in the New Testament. Um, of course, Acts chapter 2, where we talked about how that happened and the, the, the things that were demonstrated. Uh, one of the manifestations of the gift of the Spirit was the speaking in tongues. Uh, but we also saw. You know the the, the the tongues of fire on their heads and the mighty rushing wind and so forth. You know those don't those things were kind of were unique to that particular experience. But uh, later in Acts chapter eight in Samaria, after Philip ha- had gone and and preached the gospel, people received Christ. Now John John and Peter were sent there in John chapter eight. Excuse me, Acts eight verses fourteen to seventeen. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard That Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Nothing is mentioned about any kind of gift that, that went along with them receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon them. Acts chapter 9, we see the Apostle Paul and his conversion experience. In chapter, verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 17 and 18, Ananias went his way and entered the house. After the Spirit, the Lord spoke to Ananias to go to Paul, uh, he's, uh, um, he's objecting, and the Lord says, No, go. I, I've anointed him, I'm going to show him the many things he must suffer, and so forth. And so uh, Ananias goes, he lays hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. You know, the, the traditional order of things is, Receive Christ, be baptized, then the outpouring of the Spirit. Generally speaking, but obviously not always. Generally, but not always. Here with the the Apostle Paul, he received Christ on that road. I mean, the moment he said, what do you want me to do, Lord? He he was saved. He was acknowledging Christ as Lord and Messiah. But not until Ananias not a prophet, not an apostle, Uh, laying hands on him, he received the Holy Spirit and the gift that accompanied his salvation was a gift of healing. He was healed from his blindness at that particular point in time. In Acts chapter 10, of course, we saw Peter going to the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. In verses 44 to 48, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So as they heard the word, they were believing the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon them at that particular point in time without them even receiving the instruction about the Holy Spirit. He just fell upon them. And those of the circumcision who believed, those Jewish men that that accompanied Peter there to Caesarea, they, they were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And this is how they knew. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter said, uh, can, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they stayed with him for a few days. And then there's Paul here in in Ephesus with these 12 men discovering that they did did not understand about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we see what the Apostle Paul begins to do. Going going forward, we stopped in verse 2 after Paul asked the question. uh, Pick up there. So they said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. I think we've covered that already as well, the idea of what that was all about. You know, just the idea of a baptism of repentance. It was also a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. You know, and and the idea is the Messiah is coming. Repent of your sins. Prepare your hearts for his coming. Prepare your hearts. Now, that doesn't mean... And I think some, some people could misread into this the idea that, that, you know, we have to kind of get our act together before we actually receive Jesus. Absolutely not. We can't. We can't. Because we don't have the Holy Spirit's help to do so. You know, no, we, no, we, we, we receive Christ. As I shared with you just last week, I, I talked about how a fisherman catches his fish and then he cleans them. You know, God catches us and then he cleans us. He's got to catch us before he can clean us. Right? And we can't clean ourselves. If we could clean ourselves, Jesus never would have needed to die on the cross for our sins. But we can't. We cannot do that. And so um, these, uh, th- th- these actions that, that, that Paul took. Now, one other thing I, I need to add here. In terms of us today... And I would assume that there are some who are similar to these particular disciples in the sense, it's not that, it's not that you don't know that God poured out his Spirit, but there, there are segments within the church who believe that, that at conversion, we receive all of the Holy Spirit that we're going to ever receive. Not believing, not buying into what we believe as we read these scriptures, that there is a second experience subsequent to the first, the baptism of the Spirit, or baptism with the Spirit, I should say, also called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us for power and for witness, for power and witness. You know, many believe that it, it all comes at conversion and you just, just simply have to appropriate that which God already has given you. Um, that's, that's not what these passages say. That's not what they say. In fact, they're, they're, those who are in that camp would say that even as Luke called these disciples disciples, many would say that they weren't disciples at all even though that's what Luke wrote. Even understanding being a doctor and his precision with his words that he would use. You know, when, when a doctor writes you a prescription, you want him to be precise, don't you? That's who he was. So he was that. Uh, th- that's why his gospel and the book of Acts are, are so helpful to us. He meant exactly what he wrote. Aside from that, he was inspired by God's Spirit to write what he wrote, more importantly. But the Spirit used his precision to let us know exactly what took place as he writes about these things. But because there's a second experience, there's a a passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, where Jesus says, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Perhaps there's some asking that needs to take place. a, a, A part of us actually experiencing the Holy Spirit coming upon us in power We need to believe that that is something for us. You know, if we believe it already happened when it didn't, then we've been misled and we won't ask. Let's ask. Just ask. How much more will the Lord give His Holy Spirit to those who ask? All good things come from above. Let's ask. That's what we need to do. As the Holy Spirit came upon these individuals, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Two of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we see in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, In chapter 2, Verse eight, we see the people hearing uh, uh, the uh, people speaking in tongues. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then to verse eleven, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. The wonderful works of God, speaking in tongues, is not a, is not something that we do toward one another. You know, in, in many Pentecostal churches today. Uh, you may see them, hear them. Somebody will stand up and, and speak in a tongue. Nobody understands it. And there's an interpretation where somebody will stand up. And, and, and then the inter- interpretation goes something like, my little children. Uh, no, that's not the way tongues work. Because even as we see in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Speaking in tongues means you're, you're praying to him or you're praising him or you're magnifying him for his wonderful works. Something along those lines. You're speaking to God, not to men. But at the same time, Paul, in Acts chapter, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, speaks about the gift of tongues as well as the gift of prophecy. He prefers that we speak a word in prophecy so that everybody understands. But he says if there is a gift of tongues, there needs to be, an interpretation. If there's not, then it needs to be put to a stop. But it's more important for us to understand. So the gift of prophecy is more important than the gift of tongues. gift of tongues is something that's that, that, that uh, um, helps the believer who exercises that gift. The gift of prophecy helps those who hear. And so th- that's what Paul writes in, re- in relation to Tongues as, as and as well as prophecy. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 to 5, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation to comfort and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. The Old Testament prophets, for example, they were called prophets. They had a gift of prophecy. The Holy Spirit was upon them. They spoke what God wanted them to speak to the hearers. They spoke forth the word of God. Prophecy, you know, there are prophecy conferences that we have, and and those prophecy conferences generally mean these are prophetic words having to do with future things that God has spoken. But that's not what the gift of prophecy is. The gift of prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. Speaking forth the things that God would have us say. Not predicting the future. That's the gift of prophecy. Now predicting the future is a part of it. But it's not the whole of it. It is just giving the word of God. As your pastor teacher I pray that the gift of prophecy comes forth from me as I speak the things to you that God would have me speak, like an Old Testament prophet, for example, but just teaching the word of God. The gift of teaching in particular will include the gift of prophecy as well. Um, Let's go back to verse 2. I mean, in terms of reading all of this, and we have to come to a conclusion here in just a moment, but we did see, of course, that, that, that Paul speaks about, uh, in verse 4, before we go back to verse 2, um, that he, uh, he said, John and he baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So the idea of preparation for the Messiah who would come, Christ Jesus, the Messiah Jesus. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues, prophesied. There were 12 men in all. Verse 2, we see there, in verse 2, Paul asking the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Has the Holy Spirit come upon you in power? Have you experienced that second experience of being baptized with the Spirit? Has he come upon you? Have you been filled with the Spirit and thus enabled by him in his power to be the person that God wants you to be? To be gifted in the way that he wants to gift you for ministry and that his fruit would be seen in your life. I think there are many people who have been baptized with the Spirit who don't know it in the sense that they wanted more of God. And I don't think God will say, you know, no, you have to be asked to be baptized by the Spirit. We have to use one of these terms that's in the Word. No, if, if, if you're a believer, you want more of God, you want to be used by God more, you, you want to, to display more of who God is in your life, God's going to do that for you. And the coming upon you of the Spirit Being baptized with the Spirit is what will take place. And Jesus, of course, is the one who does that, as John the Baptist said. But at the same time, if you never prayed, I just want more of you, God. I want to be used by you more greatly. If you never prayed that prayer or asked, Lord, give me your Spirit, as we see it there in the book of Acts. If you've never asked, perhaps you've never thought that you should. I don't know. I want to encourage you to ask. Ask God to baptize you with his spirit. Ask him to come upon you, to pour him out upon you, that you will have all that he has to offer you. Perhaps it's easy for the world to steal joy away from you. I'll tell you what, when we go through certain experiences, like like I'm going through right now with my wife, If not for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God upon my life, I would be a wreck. I would. But it's God, by his Spirit, who still allows me to experience his joy. Asked to be baptized with his Spirit. We're not going to take time to do anything like that today as a group. But I want to encourage you today, tonight, at home, in your prayer closet, ask him. Ask him. If you don't feel anything, don't worry. If you do, praise the Lord. If you speak in tongues, wonderful. If you don't, it's okay. If everything's quiet and you don't feel any different, that's fine. You asked, he will give. You asked, and he will give. Right? God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not tell you to ask him for something that he wants you to have, and then say, well, no. Ask him. And Father, we pray that you would go before us today. Even as we look at the ministry of your Holy Spirit toward us as your people. I pray that all of us would experience this blessing. Some people would call it a second blessing. I I don't think it so much matters what we call it as long as we desire the reality of that outpouring. But Lord, even that in and of itself is made available to us because first and foremost, Lord Jesus, you went to the cross. You took our sins upon yourself. You became the Lamb of God. That unspotted, unblemished Lamb of God sacrificed for us to remove our sins from us. And Lord, we have the opportunity to remember that right now through partaking of communion. We have the opportunity to reflect on who you are and what you've done for us in in thankfulness and gratitude towards you. Lord, we have the opportunity to examine our own hearts before you. And so, Lord, Might we do that? Have your way with us, we pray, as we prepare our hearts for the partaking of these emblems through the worship that we are going to be led in right now, Lord. I pray that you, by your spirit, would speak to our hearts. Draw us to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Giovanna is going to lead us in a worship song now. Grace, how sweet the sun will say, Oh, really? For I was with but now I'm fine, was blind, but now. My feet and hot that breaks pier. first believed. My j- God, my Savior, has restored me in the light of the letter, His mercy. The Lord has brought his good to me. His word, my hope. Chains are by god my Just to the light the sun, forbade to shine. But God will call will be forever. Mm. The Apostle Paul writes these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Paul goes on and writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is a time of reflection. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of self-examination. It's a time of thankfulness you to just take a moment to speak to the Lord in your heart aware of, these, of those things then I will pray and we'll partake together and seek the Lord Lord, we do indeed remember, remembering what you have done for us. Remember, remembering why it was necessary for you to go to that cross, bearing our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the life that you've given us. Thank you for the life that we have. Thank you for the relationship that that we have with you, with with our Father, with your Holy Spirit, because what you've done for us Lord as we hold this this cup and this bread in our hands symbolizing your body broken for us Lord Jesus as well as the new covenant in your blood Lord we want to thank you have your way with us we pray by your spirit make us more like yourself we pray that you might be honored in our lives and so Lord as we partake that we partake of of you in the sense of you becoming more and more and more of an influence in, in the lives of others through us and we ask it in your precious name Let's partake together.